Welcome to the SCRA CEO Podcast, where we hear from CEOs on their entrepreneurial experience. Hey, everyone. Um, Welcome to the SCRA CEO Podcast. We have an exciting guest today, a new one to the podcast, and we're excited to have them, founder of New Forge, Javier Ortiz. Um, I'm Kathy and my co-host. Hi, Matthew Bell. I'm the uh, director of launch. Good to see everyone again. And Javier, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Kathy. Really appreciate it. Um, Kick things off. Um, Javier, do you want to let the people know what you're doing? We've got some exciting things. Sure. Sure. I guess a a little background about me since I've been been around the block, so to speak, in manufacturing for a while. I've been in manufacturing for about 27 years altogether. That includes the time that I worked part-time in maintenance on the manufacturing floor to put myself through school. So I, I include that in there. Uh, but yeah, so we've been, uh, gosh, we've been in manufacturing all that time, mostly in automation, uh, control systems, robotics, a little bit of machine learning and data mining back in the day. Um, and we pivoted to augmented reality, which is basically what we're doing now at NewForge. Uh, about seven years ago. So seven years ago, we started doing basically augmented reality projects for manufacturing, which is something like, let's say I am building a transmission as an example, right? Let's say I'm a new person and I may not know how to do that, but I can use augmented reality to actually follow instructions to be able to just, you know, put that together and validate that I'm doing it correctly, make sure that I'm using all the correct parts. And that's basically what we do for manufacturing. We also have a, a few customers in logistics, same concept. It's basically like if I'm doing order fulfillment, it's gonna show me the order number and the uh, kind of a pick list and what where I need to go to actually go pick my item. And it's gonna make sure that I'm doing it correctly. So that, that's kind of the bread and butter of what we do, those both of those uh, manufacturing and logistics uh, uh, use cases. Give us uh, a use case. I mean, I've, I've got a few in mind, but um... Uh, you know, your typical customer, how, how exactly are they using augmented reality? Because it's been around for a while, but it hasn't really caught on. You're, you're kind of one of the first companies I've seen that has this unique approach that does apply to existing methodology within the manufacturing. And um, I'll let you walk through that. Yeah. So I think the number one use case that we see with our customers is actually the remote assistance use case. So our, our biggest customer, Buller, and this is public, right? So that, you guys can look that up. They actually made a really great video for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but basically the way that they're using augmented reality is they, they, they actually make big equipment where uh, grain processing equipment, so really big, expensive pieces of machinery where grains are processed. So every time they have an issue, I'm sorry, the customer, the end customer has an issue, they actually use the glasses as their tier one support. So let's say you're with Buller and you're an engineer and I'm a customer. I have some kind of issue. I need help calibrating a machine or something like that. I put on my smart glasses. I call you and you're maybe in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm here in South Carolina. You can see everything that I can see and you can help me with it. You can say, hey, Javier, you have to, you know, remove this panel right here. And I see that, right? I see that in my smart glasses and we're talking. You share schematics with me. You share CAD with me, you share whatever you want. I can see that right there. And it's all being recorded. And the way that they use it, again, it's tier one support, but they also have all the analytics in the background. So then you as Buller, you know that you spent, you know, three hours with me last month. And this year you spent 15 hours with me. And these are all the things that we that we worked on. And by the way, 
here's a recording of all the calls, and here's how much we invoiced you, and here's basically all the analytics on that particular call. So it's kind of like it's remote assistant on steroids built specifically for manufacturing. And, and you've got applications and supply chain training, uh, uh, customer support, uh, engineering support. I mean, you, you, you've got you've got a lot of verticals you can go down with. This is the way I understood it as well. That's right. Yeah. Another really big one is uh, like we, we call them offline inspections. But <laughs> so basically, it's let's say I, I normally would have a checklist to do a, a pre-operation inspection on a truck on a big rig. So one of the ways that we're using that is instead of having my checklist, which let's be honest, every now and then, maybe I'm a little tired and I'll just kind of what, what they call pencil whipping, right? Pencil whip everything and go, oh yeah, I checked it all, right? So instead of having that checklist on a clipboard, we actually have that checklist on the smart glass. And they can't pencil whip anything because every time that it's asking them to do something, it's recording it and it can take a picture, right? And when something's wrong, it basically has a decision tree. So let's say the question is, do you have a, a, a fire extinguisher that's not expired, right? That's, that's within the correct dates. And if the answer is no, it'll give you instructions on what to do, right? So it's, so things like that, or it'll have you take a picture of, let's say a tag out or, or things like that, right? So it, it really kind of prevents a person from, you know, when we're tired, we tend to kind of skip through things. What it, it really prevents you from doing that. You're unable to risk and skip through that that very important checklist, right? So uh, that, that's a, another one that's in logistics. And of course, like I mentioned before, in, uh, in third-party logistics, right? So I have a distribution center where I'm receiving a lot of bulk material, but then I, what's outgoing is actually individual orders. Well, that process is actually very complicated. And they typically, a 3PL typically gets paid by how many orders they are processing. So we ne whenever we have a use case like that, what we do goes right to that bottom line because that means that I can go from picking, let's say, a thousand cases a day using, let's say, what they call voice picking to picking 3,500 cases a day, right? So that's that's a big deal. That's like I'm doubling my revenue with smart glasses. And that's really ultimately, well, like, like you said, Matt, that's, we can go into different verticals what we look for, however, is where we can we can make the most impact, where we have the greatest impact in the business that we're trying to actually go for or help, basically. Yeah. Right. So in three PLs, it's all about those the number of cases. If we're helping, you know, someone like Bosch, it's all about how many stovetops are we assembling, right? So we mm -hmm. we we're trying to you know bring up that output or include uh, or help with quality. Yeah. And, and again, just to be clear, we're in the manufacturing area is kind of the, the realm we're working in here. But uh, you, you, there's a lot of verticals off of that you can go. But I just want to make that clear. Kathy, you want to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have no experience in manufacturing. Um, my like, I'm still like doing the um, IKEA piecing things together through the oh, <laughs> That is my level of manufacturing. Um, how did you come up with something like this to take it and use essentially like the augmented reality to help create a system to help, I guess, like eliminate some errors and improve processes across the board. Like how did that even like pop up as like, how do we take like video games to make them real life essentially? Yeah, you know how it started? It actually, we had a customer while we were still doing, I guess, regular manufacturing automation that really kind of wanted us to look into, hey, you know, I have this process that I want people to be able to do hands-free. 
But the problem is because immediately I'm just like, oh, let them use a tablet, right? Well, the problem is that they want to be able to do it hands-free and they move around a lot. So they, they asked us, hey, can you look into doing this? Through that process, I discovered smart glasses for myself. Obviously, they existed forever. And because of my background, so I've been a manufacturing engineer. I've been in maintenance. I've done automation and I've been in engineering also, all on the plant floor. And when I first saw these smart glasses, especially around maintenance, and I'm like, wait a second, that means I can have my instructions there step by step and I just talk to it and I can actually keep my hands free. That's amazing. Why is that amazing? Because I used to carry around the manuals, right? I would carry around all my manuals. This is not that long ago. I'm not that old, right? All my manuals and all my tools and a laptop, or actually two laptops, because one was a laptop for like uh, updating my, my, my ticketing system, my, my, what's called a computerized maintenance management system, and also uh, a laptop so I can actually get into the control system, right? So two laptops. So I would carry around all that stuff with me. And now instead of carrying all that stuff, I can actually just have my tools. And part of my toolbox is my smart glasses. And that's my manuals and that's everything that I need. Right. That is cool. And, and that, that was just like that, that. That's why we did the pivot. I was just blown away by it. I was like, that's just the most amazing thing ever. Right. And, and everyone should be doing this. And if you're not, if you're in manufacturing and you're not doing it, it's, you know, you should be right. I guarantee you competition. Is. That's kind of the way that we look at it. It's yeah. like just about every single, like mm-hmm. NASA, all these verticals, every single vertical. I know someone doing something with smart glasses. So, so, so you as an engineer on the floor can can see and visualize and 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 uh, uh, understand the value of those glasses and the ability to replace a lot of those materials you were carrying with you, the two laptops, for example. But you have to convince in your current job, you have to convince a management team above them that this is a worthwhile endeavor and that they should put some expense into this approach, which is your business model, right? Um, how did you go about the process of determining what the value is of each of those things you're doing and then translate that into a communication package to those managers? So they said, you know what, this is a great idea. Let's do this. And, it's, it, and you're, you're dead on, right? It's, it always is about the use case. So for maintenance, maintenance, we typically look at what they look at. Maintenance is an easy one for me because I've worked it, right? So downtime, right? Downtime reasons and also like mean time to repair. Those are usually the top ones that everyone gets measured. At the highest level, someone's getting measured on mean time to repair and downtime. Downtime is a massive issue, right? So that's usually what we focus on. So like we basically say, if we, if we can help your people get this up and running faster, what does that mean to you? Like what, is, what currently is your downtime? And if we can reduce that, time, that downtime to something that's manageable, is that something that, that is actually meaningful to you? Does, you know, is increasing 5% or 10% OEE, is that meaningful? So that's the, stuff, the type of stuff that we usually look at in maintenance. In logistics, like we talked about, their use cases, uh, you know, uh, number of cases per day, that's easy. Uh, when it comes to like actually assembly, it's usually not about the speed. It tends to be kind of a later metric, which is like warranty, like warranty calls and warranty work after it's been delivered to the customer. But so if something breaks, you can usually trace that all the way back to the production line where something just didn't work quite right. So that's what we're trying to prevent. 
And the overarching issue with any of these industries, as you probably are very aware, is skilled labor is a big problem, right? We simply cannot get enough labor no matter what industry it is or what function it is. With the glasses, it isn't just about training and being able to get somebody up and running very quickly. It's basically you're, you can train them on how to use the glasses. And from then on, it's, hey, do what it's telling you to do. Uh, in maintenance, I might be a great wrench turner, but I guarantee you, I do not know every single piece of equipment that is in my plant. There's no way. Even my 35-year-old uh, uh, year veterans don't know every single piece of equipment. That's where the glasses come in. So if I need help and I'm really good at turning wrenches, I just need somebody to tell me what to do. Somebody standing over my shoulder. Ideally, the person that built the machine is who I need standing over my shoulder, right? Wherever they might be. Uh, and the same thing with assembly and the same thing with logistics, right? I just, I want to really kind of hit hard that the, the smart glasses can help with your metrics, however you're being measured as a business, which, you know, ultimately it's all about dollars. Yeah. Uh, but then also I, I can, I can help you just be kind of, you know, with, the, with, with staffing, with the labor shortages, I can help your people be better. And just, you know, the, the ones that you are keeping, I can help to have, have help them kind of be superhuman, right? They can they can go from equipment to equipment, which before it would take 30 years for somebody to be that good, right? It really would. Because, you know, it is it is complex. It's a, a lot of the stuff that we do, it's not very easy, so. Yeah, I'm thinking about, um, like for just, I've been on manufacturing floors in the past life and just seeing like the different, like nuances that goes behind it all. Um, you're thinking about like just the different machines and all that stuff and then, the fact that you're training people that have never actually yet touched this. So like I could wear your glasses and go in and kind of be successful. I don't recommend it, but you know, mm -hmm. kind of be successful um, to now like being able to do that on a grand scale. Um, one of the things that I think about right now, we're, we're in the AI industry and like everybody's talking about like chat GPT and things of that sort. You've got these glasses that you're sourcing. Are you able to search those glasses to just pull up specific things or is it automatically populating? And let's talk about like the advancements within that technology and how that's being, um, I guess, deployed in this space. Yeah, my favorite topic, AI. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so the way that we're using AI is basically, so you're right, the equipment is very complicated. That information is typically not available on the internet. In fact, most machine builders, you have to pay to get a certain mm -hmm. type of detail down into that equipment. So the way that we do AI is basically we're using uh, our large language model. So I, as the user, can ask a question. So, for example, how do I calibrate a, an Aeroglide dryer model number 5000? How do I calibrate, right? So it would present me a list of steps. Once I'm satisfied with those steps, I can send those steps to the smart class and just execute them step by step. So that's generally the way it works. But the question is, where do we get the information? It's not available on the internet. So what we're doing is we're actually creating kind of a, like a crowdsource repository of all this information where people, or like I'd say Buller can upload technical documentation on Buller equipment okay. or Siemens or Allen Bradley, right? They can upload uh, that documentation or connect the, the, our platform to their repository and then as the end user, I now have my source of information. And then I can ask the questions 
and then it'll actually give me the instructions mm -hmm. that I can send to my smart clients. Okay. That way I always have the human in between. So mm -hmm. I, I actually think in general, what's kind of getting a little bit, I don't know, just out of hand is the expecting the AI to automatically do everything. Yeah. And especially in manufacturing, that is simply just not, we really don't want that, right? I, I'm, I'm an expert in a certain type of equipment and I have years and years and years of expertise in that piece of equipment. And it's not just about technical documentation, right? I just, I don't, I don't just know the manual front and back. I also know how, the, how it behaves on a rainy day or when I had a certain thickness of material through my mixer and I know that I ran it for 14 hours and now I need to do something else. Like I, I, I know that stuff that an AI simply won't know, right? Certainly not right now, but possibly not ever. Right. So it, that, that becomes a little bit uh, more difficult. So the way that we do our AIs, we always have that expert human making sure that the steps are correct and making sure that it makes sense for someone to understand the instructions. And, I like and that you mentioned that. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with people and it's always one fear led because the whole concept of the AI is always like, well, I'm scared of it. It's going to take my job. I don't know what to do with it. And that typically prevents you from even having these authentic conversations around how can you use it to excel, right? Um, but then like when you're thinking about it and recognizing that it's a tool, not a replacement. And with any tool, you still need to actually know what you're doing to some degree, right? Like you use a hammer. I can definitely use a hammer, but it might have a hole in the wall and Matt might be like, yo, right. that's not, we're not doing that, right? Not like, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> But again, it's like you can still use that same tool to build a desk, you know? So it's like, how do you, like, you think about all of these things and like all of the challenges, you think about the labor shortage and all of this stuff. And it's like, how do we present this in a light to where people are understanding the actual benefits and the changes that are being put into place to not only help the labor force, but also to expand upon what possibilities can exist. And I like the fact that you mentioned it in that way. I thought that was really unique. Yeah. And, and we're actually, and we're crowdsourcing the experts too, right? Because I am not, I'm an expert in a few things and I'm pretty darn good at the, the things that I'm doing, right? But I am not an expert in everything. In fact, most people will admit that like the, the more expertise I have in a specific type of equipment, let's call it packaging equipment, the less I have on everything else, right? So they like to stick with their thing. So what we're doing is we're gathering all these experts together on one platform. Yeah. So the way that that would work is whether I'm using AI, doesn't matter, or just remote assistance. Let's say that I'm someone like, let's, let's just pick on Bosch again. I'm Bosch and I'm working on the Bosch plant floor as a maintenance person, right? And I'm going to look up some piece of equipment that broke and I don't know how to fix it, right? But I have my glasses, so I'm going to look it up. One of the things that I can do is look up for, look on our platform, you can look for an expert in that piece of equipment, Right. So let's say that it's, a, I don't know, Siemens or something. I'm going to look up Siemens. And I'm going to see all the experts available there. Then when I look at their profiles, I'm going to see how much they charge. And then I can actually, you know, set up a call tomorrow at 9 a.m. Tomorrow at 9 a.m. I put on my smart glasses. That's one method, right? But I'm crowdsourcing the expertise. The other method with AI is that every single manual that I upload into the system when I create work instructions, I have an expert that we're curating, that it's actually helping curate those instructions, right? So I have this repository of things and I have experts looking at them. And whenever you as a user, you go search for something, 
you know that an expert has looked at it and said, hey, this, this works. Or, hey, by the way, the AI came up with these instructions, but you know what it didn't tell you is that you probably need a, you know, this or that tool or to not do this in between shifts because it's going to take me four hours. I don't know, you know, but it's the human input is yeah. also part of what we're doing. So it's not just about the AI or the AR. And yeah. those kind of sound, when you say it really fast, they, they sound the same, but it's not just about the tech. Uh, it's also about the human, right? In fact, I would say to Matt's point too, because Matt mentioned this uh, before, AR has been around for a long time. The technology works, right? It's never been about the technology. In fact, it's never about the technology. It's always about how we implement it and the human factor. 100% every single time. And in fact, Matt, if I can kind of re-answer that, the question that you asked before, I think that's really what we focus on. It's like, most people want to see the, the, the tech and they want to see the demo and all that. And we're like, you know, talk to me about what you're trying to do. Let's, let's focus on that because the tech, the tech works. Like, and by the way, we don't do POCs. We don't do POCs. Now, we haven't done a, a proof of concept in a very long time. And so when, then, we're, when we're asked for a POC, we, we, we deny them. You know, we say, no, we don't do POCs. Why? Because the tech works. The tech works. We don't do POCs. Right. So and that's just kind of something that we do. And you know how, how big we're, we're very tiny, so we can't do POCs. But <laughs> So as you get into a, a let's just say a large manufacturer, um, you've got the maintenance application for this technology set, which leads to a business model, which allows you to focus in on the. Here's the product. Here's the problem. Here's the product. Here's the value proposition you're offered in the company to overcome that 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 problem, and then you deliver and you collect some income off of that. But what's unique about what you're doing is you hit maintenance, and then you're able to hit training, and then you're able to hit um, engineering support or, or or support activities through the uh, the uh, you know the, the the expert list and or the expert list inside the organization. Um, or, and you can hit supply chain. How do you, I mean, it's a land and expand strategy, right? How do you, how do you do that? How are you executing on the land and expand strategy potential for your technology set? Yeah, we, we usually, just like you said, right, we'll start with assembly and assembly line. There's one assembly line. When we, whenever we do the start of that project, we always kind of expect, we kind of assume the sale, we expect that second line to be coming along, but that's assembly. What we'll usually do is we'll have kind of these demo days uh, that we'll have, we'll invite people from other departments to see what they've done, right? And it's really all about them. It's not really about us. But during that time, we talk about what other things that we can do, mm -hmm. right? Th those work pretty well. Um, and that's, that's kind of typically our approach to, to doing things like that, to be able to expand, right? Uh, of course, we will ask the typical things like, hey, who's, who's in charge of your distribution center? Uh, do they, are you aware or are they aware that we can use smart glasses for picking? We'll ask those things, but what we find works really well are those demo days. So post-project, right? We went go, we, we did go live. We got some metrics. It was success. Uh, success. Then we kind of have these demo days and say, hey, we can also do things like this and other lines, other business units, other use cases. And that, that works pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's what worked what worked at Buller also, right? So we've actually expanded there as well. Uh, and actually, uh, we should be going global uh, for Buller. So right now we're, we're covering North America or the Americas. Uh, and we're actually gonna, we're in discussions on going global with, with the solution there. So it's gonna be pretty big. Same thing though, demo day. It was all about that demo day. 
Congratulations on the expansion. I know that's always Thank like, you. Oh, yes. like ah, we're growing. <laughs> and, and it's funny because these massive companies, they take so long to make decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, when they make the decision, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest day ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's a huge thing to celebrate. So um, kudos to you guys. I know that the Thanks. team's been working really hard on that. That's a really big deal. Um, let's, let's switch a little bit over. Um, one, we can kind of talk about some of these new features that you guys have rolling out. Um, that could be like the surprise in the end, or we can kind of switch gears and kind of talk about some of the challenges that you guys are facing and how have you kind of overcome some of those? Because I know with like expanding into manufacturing, it's typically really slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, you've got all of the different nuances behind it. So you kind of pick where you want to go first, and then we can kind of dabble between the two types of conversations and topics. Sure. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, being, being this size and the type of project that we have. Right, because we're in manufacturing and logistics, mm-hmm. and we're not a company like PTC or Siemens, like I keep mentioning, right? So we're not a big company. So that means that when a manufacturing facility looks at, at us and they look how small we are, they of course are wondering, so can you handle it? Um, and we're more of a, we're kind of like a SEAL team. I used to be in the Navy. So every, I do a lot of analogies, but we're very concentrated. We're very focused on something very specific. But because we only deal with manufacturing facilities, it, it, it is very slow, right? The projects themselves are, you know, waterfall style projects where it's the whole 12 months are, are planned ahead of time. And it's, you know, one thing after the other, and it goes very small, uh, slow. And the, I guess the, the downside of that, the upside is that projects turn out very well because they're, they're, they're so well planned out. The downside is that in the meantime, we're not really doing any business development, right? Because we are all hands on deck when we have a big project. There's nine of us and all nine of us in one way or the other are dealing with a customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's no business development going on. So one of the hardest things for us is managing that growth, managing that we're doing some awesome stuff, but how do we tell people about what we're doing, right? And how do we not wait 12 months until we're finished with this project to tell other people? Because if we're doing two projects a year, you can imagine, you know, that's that's probably not going to you know help us get through uh, and become bigger. So I think what, that's one of the great things about the SCRA and the way that the SCRA helped us is being able to kind of grow and manage that, I guess, the, from a financial side, the cash flow, so we can do certain things, certain marketing, advertising, uh, grow our platform. Uh, like Kathy, you mentioned that new feature, right? We wouldn't have been able to do that while also executing the project, right? Mm-hmm. Luckily, through the SCRA, we, we have some assistance and, and we're able to actually, you know, kind of double up on the things that we're doing. Uh, we're still really small, right? We still need a lot more help, but, but that, that has been a massive help. And I think that's, that's one of the things that's difficult to manage for us is the fact that we deal with manufacturing and logistics customers. They want us to do projects a certain way that has proven to be successful. So that is the way to do it. So it's not about the methodology. The methodology is, is it's proven. It's for our size, following that methodology is difficult to continue to grow the business. That's yeah. that's difficult too. Yeah. Well, what's on your growth plan for the next, let's do like two years. Cause I feel like that's a safe number. Um, I, sometimes we do three, but I feel like two years is a safe number. Like what are you thinking as like growth trajectories? Like what, what's on what's on the stage right now? Right now, we're working on what we call a new fortune knowledge place. 
And think of New Forge Knowledge Place as everything that we talked about, but crowdsourced and self-service. Mm -hmm. So instead of someone like me or Angie having to go in person to show you how things work and explain everything, we want it to be, uh, well, crowdsourced. So expertise from all types of equipment in one place and ease of use. So if I'm an end user, I can go there and find somebody, use the AI. And of course, you mentioned the surprise. That was the surprise. Sorry. So we kind of already <laughs> talked about it. Uh, but uh, so being able to self-serve, use the AI where it doesn't need intervention from us. Because right now, the customers that we have, we've been there personally. We walked them through everything, how to use the AI, how to search for an expert, all of that thing. All of, all of those things are being done very manually. And we're getting out of that. Sorry, not getting out of it. We're still doing that. But there's a totally different, let's say, method to that. And it's, it's all automated, right? We want people to sign up on their own, be able to do all the billing on their own, set up for their own customer success, uh, everything basically on their own, and be able to use those features. Augmented reality for remote assistance and uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning for uh, augmented reality as well, right? So being able to create work instructions on the fly and get people to help you with your piece of equipment on the fly. And it's SaaS and multi-tenant, right? So right now, you know, all the different customers I'm talking about, they are on their own platforms, right? That we've deployed on-premise, uh, sometimes on a private cloud. This is multi-tenant cloud, right? So it's, it's again, self-service, one platform for everybody. And we, we've noticed that when we talk to people about what we're doing, they are blown away and they're ready. We've signed up a lot of end users. So it's, it's like any other marketplace. You have, you have end users and you have the people that are providing the expertise, people that are providing the service. Think of like Uber, right? Drivers and you have drivers, same thing. Yeah. You know, oversimplified, but still same, same thing. <laughs> so in the marketplace, we at first thought that finding end users, so people that need help, was going to be kind of a problem and experts will be able to sign up very easily. It turns out we've signed up a ton of end users, a ton, like over a hundred end users, big names too, right? Because the problem exists. The problem is real. We're not making it up. They know that there's a problem and they're very, it's very easy to sign those people up. What's difficult is signing up the experts. Yeah, totally unexpected. I did not expect that at all. <laughs> Because like me, I'm, I'm an expert, right? I'm an expert. I'm an equipment guy. I know my maintenance. I, I know. And, and I'm like, oh, I'm building the platform kind of for me in a way, right? So I'm like, oh, my God, I would totally sign up for this, right? Uh, as it turns out, uh, yeah, it, it takes some, some uh, convincing. You're kind right. of on call. Because <laughs> you're kind of on call. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you can be anywhere, right? I, in fact, I, I always say you could be at the beach and take a call, right? And yeah. you're setting your own rate. Yeah. So if you're charging, you know, we typically want to be a little bit under whatever the market value is. So like, let's say I'm doing walk-all automation PLCs and the market value is 200 an hour. If I'm charging 160, that's pretty good. That's a discount, yeah. right? So, uh, so I'm charging my own rate. So, but that's that's uh, that's been interesting, right? So, discovering that uh, that recruiting experts has, is kind of the bottleneck has been pretty interesting from our point of view. You need an ag expert. There's one on this. Yeah, I was just, I, you know, you're, you're making me flash back because at 16 years old, I was driving a tractor across the field with a, with a chisel plow behind me. And um, it was night and had the lights on and everything. And 
literally everything went dead. The lights went out, tractor died, just, just dead. And uh, I remember my dad was traveling at the time. So I, I called him up. I radioed him because we didn't have cell phones at that point, but I radioed him and said, uh, Hey, the, 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 I got power to the, the radio apparently, but I radioed him and said, Hey, the, the tractor's not, not operating. Um, what, what do I need to do? And he, he, there was a quiet moment and he said, well, I guess you're gonna have to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so could have used your glasses as an expert at that point in the middle of the field in the dark. <laughs> so, you know, that's really interesting. One of the people I, we signed up end user, again, this is what we call the end users, right? There are use case. Everything we're talking about today is yep. about manufacturing and fixing equipment. Yep. They want to use the platform to move heavy construction equipment and yep. tractors and things like that from, uh, it, it's an intramural facility, from seagoing to, to rail, I think. <clears throat> but basically, there's nothing broken. They just don't know how to use the. They yep. just don't know how to operate them. There's rarely a manual, and they can't get a hold of the actual equipment maker because yep. they're not a customer. They're the transporter. So they're unable to, like, they've tried. It's like, we've actually tried to call so-and-so, not going to name names. And they, they turn us down because we're not a customer. Yep. So really totally unexpected use case. Just, again, back to your point, Matt, about yeah. use cases. Totally unexpected that the platform is going to be used that way for just operating equipment. Right? So, so um, and that, we're I, really I, excited I, about what we're going to find out, I think, in the next two years, Kathy. I, I would be willing to bet that for the people watching this 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 podcast or this webinar, um, I would be willing to bet a large percentage of them probably can dream up more use cases for this type of technology. Because um, once you start thinking this way, uh, there becomes a lot of different verticals you could probably go after. And in, in, in agriculture, I could think of a number, but uh, um, uh, that's your challenge. I mean, that that's the challenge of you know keeping your scale and your scope small enough that you can execute your business plan and not overreaching, but always being able to grab the next vertical when you're ready to grab it. And that's, that's always a challenge, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But sorry, Kathy, so that was a very long winded answer <laughs> to you or non answer to your question about the next two years. Uh, because the truth is that we expect massive growth. Yeah. Uh, if, I, I think we just don't know exactly what that's going to look like exactly, which yeah. industry like, is the use going to be like, yeah, hey, there's this you know, guy stranded in the middle of a cornfield. Sorry, man, I don't know. Was it going <laughs> yeah. to be truly what we expected to be, which is our, our original beachhead was manufacturing, not just manufacturing, specifically packaging equipment. Through our research, that's what we found. And in practice, we found that that, that to be wrong. Yeah. Packaging equipment apparently runs like clockwork. And there's really no issues. Uh, what is an issue is process equipment. Anything that's dispensing, mixers, blenders, depositors, lots of searching through that. But unfortunately, back to the bottleneck, we don't have any experts in that. Yeah. Right? So then we were the ones that are manually reaching out to people. It's like, hey, I see that you're an expert in mixing equipment. We have a platform that does this and this and this. And we talk to them. And sometimes they sign up and sometimes they don't. Yep. Well, how do those experts and those um, uh, interested parties in your platform reach you? What's the different methodologies to, how, how can people contact you if they see this webinar and are interested in following up? Sure. If, if they go to newforgetech.com, just like it sounds, of course, uh, they can actually sign up from there directly. We have a lot of videos on how the platform works, how you can get paid as an independent person. If you are an enterprise, there's an entire 
version of the platform that is really kind of geared towards enterprises. And that really allows you to create your own users, uh, give people different roles, allow people to access different features. Uh, and so there's a lot of different things there. There's a lot of manual, uh, sorry, videos on, on basically how to do all of these things there. Uh, and of course they can email us directly. Uh, we typically ask people to email uh, info at uh, newforgetech.com. Uh, but then, you know, you can reach out to me directly too, right? We're small enough that we still do that. And that's it. For me, it's Javier.Ortiz at newforgetech.com. So we're there. Uh, and we're in Lake Wiley, South Carolina. So uh, yeah. so we're, we're very close by and it's a really nice day. So uh, I just stop by. <laughs> <laughs> well, Javier, we appreciate you being on. We're excited about your company. Um, I love all the uh, different uh, uh, things that you can get into. I think it's to me, always, every time I talk to you, it's like a thought expansion exercise, right? Um, and uh, love that you're uh, having success and starting to roll out new product and moving to a, a global market with one of your clients. And uh, we wish you all the best going forward. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Um, I'm sure the listeners really learned something because I know I did. Um, I can't fix anything. So <laughs> I might be a customer personally. No, we'll get you some we'll get you some glasses. You'll start fixing stuff right away. I'm gonna hold you to that. Just remember we <laughs> had this conversation. It's being recorded. <laughs> but we just want to thank you and I'm sure the listeners are super excited to hear about all of the things that you guys are working. Again, Javier with Newforge and we are so pleased to have you on this podcast. Yeah.